Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Tonight's scripture reading is Jude chapter 1, verses 20 through 25. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Christ Jesus our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. The conversion examples that we're going through in these Sundays in prep for Family Bible Week are very exciting to me. And I, I love to preach fundamentals. One of the things that preachers must do is to not forget the fundamentals. I don't think that we have to preach them every Sunday, but we need to preach them often. There cannot be a generation that arises that doesn't know the fundamentals of Christianity because apostasy will follow that. And to have Family Bible Week, to be going through these four conversion examples, I just think is a terrific idea. I think Paul thought of it. I just think it's excellent, and the kids will know these. And, of course, they already know where they're found in the Bible, and that's good too. When we talk about obeying the gospel, could, could, could you describe that concept? Well, I love to preach the gospel. And you know that 1 Corinthians 15 describes the gospel as the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And when I preach that, I'm preaching the gospel. But the gospel is not just something to be believed and preached. It's also, it's also something to be obeyed. So 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 7 to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be re- revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Now listen to this. This is the judgment day, and it's describing Jesus. Taking vengeance on them. Wow, that's scary. I, I don't want to be part of anything about his vengeance. But here's the line. Taking vengeance on them that know not God. Don't be in that category. You won't be in that category, of course. But what about this next one? taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how do you, how do you, wait a minute. So the, the, the gospel is the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus. How do you obey the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? Now, those are historic facts. They happen, but how do you obey that? And the answer is Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 3. And know you not that so many of us as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, are you ready? We're baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. When you are baptized, Paul says, you're imitating the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's why it's called obeying the gospel. 
The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what this teaches is that everybody of accountable age has to obey the gospel in order to be saved. And so this is very important that we're talking about this. Uh, What Keith read a while ago is from Jude 22 and 23. And the key part is some with compassion, and I'm, I'm quoting the King James now, some with compassion making a difference. And the New King James says, making a distinction. But the next verse explains what it talks, what it's talking about. You can get it. Others safe with fear, pulling them out of the fire. And the point is that, that when we teach and preach the gospel, and we teach and preach the conversion examples in the book of Acts like we're doing right now, there's a couple of different applications. And one is, of course, that, that you, if you're not a Christian, you need it. You need to know exactly on your own what's necessary in order to be saved. But secondarily, we've got as Christians to be able to teach people. And we need this familiarity with these passages in order to say, look, here's what happened. Read this. and Now read this one and you'll see how people obey the gospel. So we've got to be able to do that. And what Jude emphasizes is that everybody's different. I mean, everybody that you talk to about the gospel it's going to be in a different place spiritually, mentally, emotionally, right? And as we talked about from Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian, we've got to start where those people are. And that takes some doing. That takes some study and skill. And, and that's what's emphasized here in Jude 22 and 23. Some with compassion. What's compassion? How, what would you just, what, what's compassion? And you would say it is sympathy or it is empathy. It is to care about someone else. Some, there's a gentleness attached to that. Some with compassion, making a difference. Others, safe with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Is it ever right to to say to somebody, you know what? You just need to know that if you don't obey the gospel, you're going to be lost. You will be eternally lost in hell. Is that a right? Well, you know what? I suppose there's sometimes when that's an appropriate thing to say. I don't think you ought to say it every time because it's not always necessary, but I suppose sometimes it is. That's what this is saying. Others save with fear, putting them out of the fire. So for this lesson, I want to divide this into two halves, two points. I don't intend to preach a long time tonight, but, but here we go. Sometimes people are saved intellectually. You reason with them. Isaiah 1 and verse 18. Come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Let's reason together. And so we, you know, I think, I think most people are probably on this track. And I guess everybody has to think through the teachings of the Scriptures in order to become a Christian. You've got to think through it. It's a thinking religion. Having said that, I want you to, to appreciate how people are drawn to the gospel by thinking, by reasoning. Now, you have the conversion examples, and I think that's, we've got to do that. We've got to take people and show them these individuals in Scripture, and here's what they did to be saved, and we've got to duplicate that in order to be saved. So follow me on this. Here's some arguments that I need, or, or reasoning that I need you to, to grasp. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5 says, Unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. There's nobody in this room that's confused about what washes away our sins. We even sing a song about it. What shall wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Well, that's biblical, and that's what Revelation 1.5 says, that we are washed 
by the blood of Jesus. Now, can you answer this question? When does that occur? When is it that we are washed by the blood of Jesus? And the answer is, and we've been talking about this on these Sunday mornings, Acts 22 and verse 16, and now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Wow, put those two verses together, and that's really powerful. The Bible says that we're washed from our sins in the blood of Jesus, and it also says that we're washed when we're baptized. I can figure that out. Take another one. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 is familiar to most of us. And Peter said at Pentecost, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Now, I know that seems very plain. Do you know the argument against saying that that insists on baptism being necessary in order to obtain the remission of sins? How would you argue that? You know how people argue it? It's that word for. It's a Greek word, ace, and for. And, and the truth is that we, in our English language, we use that in a couple of different ways, don't we? And, and one of them is, is to mean in order to obtain... And so if we said, uh, uh, you, you see a banquet, and somebody says, I'm giving you this plaque for 40 years of service to our company. What does that mean? It means because of. It means because you've given these 40 years of service, I want you to have this plaque. Sometimes it means in order to obtain. So you say it to your son, you can wash the car for $5. Would you take that deal? Good. Okay. They looked at me. Okay. You can, what does that mean? That means if you wash the car, you get $5. You wash the car for $5. All right. So there's two possible meanings for the word for, in order to obtain or because of. And you and I read Acts 2.38 and we say, repent, be baptized for the remission of sins. It obviously means in order to obtain the remission of sins. And somebody else says, no, 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 we're saved before we're baptized, and baptism has nothing to do with salvation, and that means because of. Repent and be baptized, everyone in the name of Jesus Christ, because of the remission of sins. Do you follow me? Because the word for can mean either one. But it's as if the Holy Spirit anticipated this problem. And so in Matthew 26 and verse 28, you have the same phrase, for the remission of sins. And, and he, he is, Jesus brought the new covenant. I'm going to turn over there so I can make sure the wording is exactly right. Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper said, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Now I would ask you this question. Did Jesus shed his blood in order that people might have the forgiveness of sins? Or did he shed his blood because people had the remission of sins? Which is it? And of course it is, in order that they could obtain it. It's so that they could have remission of sins. Everybody, I suppose, would understand that. Let's do one more. We're talking about reasoning through this and and why we must obey the gospel and how we must obey the gospel. What about this one? Bear in mind that you can divide the commands of God into two different categories. And I believe this is logical. There are some commands of God which are moral commands. We might call them moral commands. And a moral command is one that God 
commands because it's right. So, for example, in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. I would have you to bear in mind that in in Exodus 20, when you have the Ten Commandments, you find thou shalt not kill in the Ten Commandments. But it was already a sin to kill. Genesis 9 and verse 6 already prohibited murder. Why did he say it then? Why, Why isn't that redundant? Well, not really. But it was already wrong, and God put that in the Ten Commandments because it was already wrong to do that. So a moral command is is one that God makes because the command is right. Ten Commandments says, thou shalt not commit adultery. That commends itself to my reasoning. That makes sense to me. God made that because it's right. But now listen closely. There are other commands which God makes which we will call arbitrary, that are only right, only right because God said them. They wouldn't be right otherwise. They are only right because God said them. Now play that out in your mind. Which ones can you think of? And so you have, for example, Genesis chapter 22, beginning in the first verse, and this is about Abraham. Abraham, take now thy son, thy only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee up to Moriah to a mountain that I will tell you of, and I want you to offer him for a burnt sacrifice, a burnt offering. Now, the interesting thing about this one to me is that it would have been murder for him to have done this the day for Abraham to have done this the day before. To sacrifice Isaac on the altar the day before would have just been cold-blooded murder, but today it's right. On this day, it's the right thing to do. Now, why is that? Because God commanded it. God commanded it. And that's an arbitrary command. And for what purpose? And the answer is, it's a test of Abraham's faithfulness. That's the only purpose of it. It is to see whether or not Abraham will comply with the will of God. That's why it is given. And it wasn't right until the point at which God gave the command. It didn't commend itself to our sense of reasoning or logic. It didn't seem logical, but it was right because God said to do it, right? What about Exodus chapter 12? And you have, you have the plagues. And what do you do with that final plague? I want you to take some hyssop. I want you to take that animal blood. And I want you to put it on the doorposts and lintels of your house. And when I come over, I will pass over you. Excuse me. What, what, what reasoning, what logic can you put to that? That, that there's a connect. What is the connection between putting blood on the doorpost and little of your house and saving the life of your firstborn? There's no logical connection. It wasn't a moral command. It wasn't that, that God made this command because it is right. It is right because God made the command, and that's the only reason. But what it did is to serve as a test of whether or not people would obey him. Right? Go into Canaan land. Here's one more. Joshua chapter 6. And here's Jericho. And here, we, we, you know what? These are big old tall walls and they've got a powerful army. And I have, God said, I've given you Jericho. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to march around it six times, once a day. On the seventh day, march around it seven times. I, you know what that is? That's an arbitrary command. It's It's... Nobody would have thought of doing that. Nobody, I mean, to, to, to defeat them. Nobody would have thought of doing that to bring those walls down and defeat Jericho. It was only right because God said to do it. It's an arbitrary command to test their faithfulness. Hold that. 
Baptism is an arbitrary command of God. It is not a moral command. Nobody can connect a, a logical reason, if you please, as with these other examples, of why baptism and forgiveness of sins are necessarily connected together. They're only connected together. And baptism is only right because God said to do it. But I would argue that this is absolutely a command with which God tests our faithfulness. Will we obey him? All right. Sometimes sometimes people are saved by reasoning like that. Let's go to the scriptures and let's reason together. And you, you add to that, of course, again, the conversion examples. And let's see what people did to be saved. And, and here's about the blood of Jesus. And here's when it cleanses us from our sins. And here's the arbitrary command by which God tests us to see whether or not we will obey him. But Jude 22 and 23 says, some with compassion making a difference, others safe with fear. But those are more emotional things, compassion and fear. Some safe with compassion. What kinds of compassionate reasoning could you think of that, that gets to people's hearts, true things that, that affect our hearts? <clears throat> I would say the fact that we're going to know one, one another in heaven Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, and David said of his baby who has just died, I will go to him, but he will not come to me. What does that mean? Well, among other things, what it means is that he anticipates being one day with that baby, one day with that child. The Bible says in Matthew 8 and verse 11, many shall come from the east and from the west. This is talking about heaven. And we'll sit down together in the kingdom of heaven with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I do not know if you feel like I do about that. I've got people on the other side that I would dearly love to see again. Do you? I know you do. I know you do. Here's that promise. Here's the promise of that. Now, do you want to go to heaven or not? And the answer is, of course I do. Of course I do. Heaven's a place, does this appeal to you, where there's no suffering? Revelation 21 says there's no tears in heaven. You ever shed tears? You ever really hurt in this life? Does it appeal to you that heaven's a place where the, that God's going to wipe away all tears? Are you kidding? I, I want to go to heaven. I want to go to heaven. Now, that'll fill your heart up right there. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, and here's the description of heaven, incorruptible and undefiled that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you. It's incorruptible. There's nothing there to mess it up, nothing there to hurt me. or No tears will be there. I do not know how God's going to accomplish that. I really don't know. I, I know that I'm going to be me. I know that you will be you. Perhaps it will be that he will erase from our, our memories those things which will hurt us. I don't know. Now, I know this. The Bible says heaven's a place where there are no tears. And then Jude 23 says, Others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Now, I've, I've read Luke 16 before. 
And I understand that, that what this is, is Tartarus. The judgment day hadn't occurred yet. But I understand also that this is very close to what hell will be. And the rich man who had lived selfishly through his life, the Bible says he lifted up his eyes in torment. He sees Abraham. And then he asked this most, this strangest request. You've never, you've never asked for anything like this before in your life. And neither have I. You never have. Because we, we haven't lived under these conditions where we would ask something like this. But here was his request. Send Lazarus that I may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm tormented in this flame. That emotional? I mean, when I, when I read that passage to you, does it do something to your soul? Something to your heart? And the answer is that it does. We had men's retreat not long ago, and I was reminded that a couple of years ago, standing in that very same place, we have our devotional at night out there by the lake, and it's wonderful, and we sing and pray, and it's just a great moment. And we have this fire. We always have a kind of a campfire there. And, and when I look at a campfire, and you've done this, haven't you? Look at a fire like that, and you think, wow, that's cozy. It's, it's nice out here with a little chill on the water. That's, it's nice to have that, but that's not all I think about. I think, I look at the embers, and I think, I don't want to go to hell. I do not want to go to hell. I think about grabbing one of those one of those fiery logs in my hand and what that would, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. The reason Jesus died on the cross is so you don't have to go to hell, right? He saves us by the gospel. Now, is that emotional? Yeah. And, and so Judas appealing in 22 and 23 of his letter to, to more emotional kind of thoughts that we, would, that we would use when we're talking to people about the gospel. And we teach them. We teach them the Scriptures. We love them and we start where they are and we teach them with the Scriptures. But we remember not just the, the reasoning parts in that regard, but, but also the, the more emotional parts about knowing one another in heaven and about the blood of Jesus and about, about forgiveness and what it is to be forgiven and what it will be like to be in heaven and have all your tears washed away. And the contrast of that, the contrast is to be in hell for all eternity. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. We're spending the next, uh, these last few weeks and one more in the conversion examples and prep for Family Bible Week because it is so important that the children grow up knowing. They should just really know that they know the conversion examples so that they could tell them to other people. I don't want our kids to be able to remember a time that they didn't know the conversion examples. Isn't that right? Because there are people in the world, lots of them, who tonight, I suppose, are basing their hope of heaven on what they consider to be the goodness of God. God is good. But the argument would go something like this, or the reasoning in people's minds goes something like this. I know that I'm not perfect, and I'm not a church-going person. I'm, I may not be a Christian, but I believe there's a God, and I believe that God is good, and that God will overlook my sin in the end because He is good. That's wrong reasoning, though. 
because God sent his only begotten son into this world to die on that cross. If God wouldn't overlook your sin when Jesus had to bear it, why would we think that he would overlook our sin when we bear it without him? The fact is that sin has to be dealt with and we haven't the wherewithal to do it ourselves. What can wash away my sins? And the, the, the next word is nothing but the blood of Jesus. I'm so glad you're here tonight. Is there someone here who wants to obey the gospel? Now would be such a wonderful time and we'll baptize you into Christ for the remission of your sins. Or if you need the prayers of the Christians, what about now? We're so eager to help. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.